Welcome to the Portugal podcast. We're a little sad today as Portugal's Euro 2020 campaign came to an end after a 1-0 defeat against Belgium in the round of 16 match in Sevilla. My name is Matthew Marshall. I'm joined by Tom Cundit to go through the match, through the tournament and look ahead in what is in store for Fernando Santos and the Seller Sao. Tom, what were you feeling when you woke up this morning? Not on top of the world, I have to say. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, the only thing I'd say was that if Portugal did have to go out of the tournament, I prefer that they went out like this, you know, playing well. As, uh, you know, as some of the players said, uh, go out really with their head held high. Could easily have won that match yesterday. They didn't. OK, fair play to Belgium. Exactly. I'm much better going out like this than if you had have perhaps transferred that Germany performance uh, yesterday. That would have been a, a much bigger blow. But we'll get into the match. We'll get into what we've seen from the squad and the players and then what we can look ahead to with the World Cup just a year away. So yesterday, Tom, we had uh, Rafa Silva on, and Gonzalo Gage out of the squad. And we also saw two changes with Diogo Dalot coming in for Nelson Sumedo at right back and Palinha replacing Danilo in the holding midfield role. We saw Jota with an early chance and then Belgium really take control, I guess, for the first 15 minutes. But then Portugal really started to get on top. We saw Ronaldo with a free kick saved. Yeah, unfortunately, on the stroke of half-time, Lukaku got released down the left wing and then the ball came back into the danger area. Portugal intercepted it, but unfortunately, it got picked up and then it went out to Torgan Hazard, who was really wide open. Bernardo Silva hadn't got back in time. And Dallo was preoccupied with Lukaku, so he had a bit of time and space and he unleashed a shot which swerved and caught Rui Patricio out a little bit. He, got, he was very close to getting a hand on it and a bit of debate whether he might have done better. But Portugal looked strong in the second half. There was the changes coming on. We saw Bruno Fernandes and João Félix come on for Bernardo and João Moutinho in the 55th minute. And then we saw Jota have a shot just go over the bar. He was, uh, didn't have a lot of time there after Ronaldo fed him the ball. Really close to goal. That was a bit unfortunate. And then we saw Felix with a head of side. Bruno with a volley over the bar. And then Andre Silva coming on for Jota. The match was getting a bit ugly. We saw Pep get back to his angry best with a, a nice forearm to the neck of uh, Torgan Hazard. And then we saw a couple more changes with Danilo and Sergio Oliveira coming on for Paulinha and Renato Sanchez. And then Tom... What we saw was Portugal go really close to scoring, didn't we? We saw Diaz with a header from a corner straight at Courtois, any other spot, and that's a goal. And then we also saw Guadeiro come in with a right foot shot, hit the post. And then we saw Joel Felix with a shot go wide. So a couple of really good chances there, and you got the impression that Portugal, if they had have had a bit more luck and one of those chances had have gone in, they really had the momentum. And they had a good chance to go on and, and win that game, if not in extra time, you know, in regulation time. So that's pretty much the story of the matches I saw at Tom. Did you did you see anything else that I missed there? At the end, also that Andre Silva chance as well. You know, really, when he uh, a header got flicked on, and that was really just didn't really quite make the right connection at the back post because, uh, you know, again another another close thing. And it shows fine margins, isn't it? Just very very fine margins. I don't really think you can blame. Uh, Patricio too much that just swerved one way swerved the other fantastic hit by by Dorgan Hazard and uh, yeah Portugal you know I, I think really did everything they could to to get back in this game I agree with you I think if they had scored the equaliser you could really only see one winner you know Portugal were pretty much dominating at that time uh, Belgium also had injury problems of course KDB had to go off uh, 
Hazard. So you really would have fancied Portugal at that time to, to go on and win it. But uh, yeah, it just wasn't to be very, very fine margins. In one, in one way, it's very frustrating because, you know, Portugal were very close. <laughs> you just can't win them all, can you? We had a bit of luck at 2016, went all the way and won it. Uh, yesterday, we just didn't have any luck. And, uh, you know, fair play to Belgium. Good luck to them. Yeah, I thought Portugal did really well to basically shut Belgium down. You know, they have such a fantastic team. Obviously, you don't get to the, the number one of the FIFA World Rankings for no reason. And they had basically one shot on target. And it was that shot from outside the box that, you know, swerved and, and beat Patricio. But he really didn't have too much to do apart from that, I didn't think. And, you know, the shots were heavily in Portugal's favour. And I thought they played they played well. I really don't have any complaints from anything Fernando Santos did yesterday. Tactically, I thought his subs were, were, were pretty good. I think that Santos got just about everything right yesterday. I think that was a lineup I would have started. Uh, he, his subs, you know, one big criticism of Santos sometimes is he is too late uh, bringing on the subs. But he, you know, he moved just after half time, mixed it up, brought on attacking subs. I think he got everything right. Portugal were just a bit unlucky. I just wanted to go to some comments from uh, Ruben Dias, who after the match said, I wouldn't say our game plan failed. I'd actually say the game plan made us comfortable and feel superior on the pitch. We were always close to scoring. Even in the first half, in an extremely tight game, they scored from one shot in the first half when they had a bit of luck because of the strange way the ball moved. We were close to scoring several times, but the ball didn't want to go in for us. The only thing to take from this game is that it's a lesson to come back stronger. The second half was all ours. The result really didn't go for us. Thank you to the Portuguese for all the fantastic support. And Fernando Santos said the players are crying in the changing room. We have to lift our heads because we played a tremendous game. The ball hit the post. It didn't want to go in. The players gave everything. Portugal deserved to win, and that's why we are sad. We tried everything. We tried attacking from wide, from inside, putting more men in the box, but the ball hit the post. From another chance, the ball went straight at their goalkeeper. That's football. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's what we've said all the way through this tournament, Tom, that international football can be extremely brutal. You can play well, you can dominate a game, and your tournament's over. It's just completely brutal. In, in leagues, you can lose a game and it's not the end of the world. You can still win the league. But in these knockout international tournaments, the margins are just so fine. And of course, people are now going to overreact and all the people that have been hating on Santos are all experts now, of course, and justifying their opinion. But really, as we've said already in the report of this game, that it was extremely close. And if things had gone slightly differently, Portugal would have won this game and the entire narrative would have changed. What's your yeah, opinion of the, the, of the Santos criticism and, and what do we see for him heading forward? Obviously, he has a contract to 2024. It doesn't seem like he's going to be going anywhere soon with the World Cup just a year away. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of natural reaction, isn't it? I suppose, you know, this such a disappointment, you know, you want to kind of look for people to blame. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, Portugal played well yesterday. And, you know, if one of those shots had gone in, Portugal had gone on to win, everyone would have been heaping praise on Santos saying, you know, he got it spot on. And so, yeah, I don't think for this match we can uh, criticise Santos, um, you know. And uh, as for changing coach, you know, it's the, it's the whole narrative, isn't it? I think people are justified. A lot of people are justified. Of course, everyone's justified to have their own opinion. But a lot of people, I think you can understand the opinions that think that he, Portugal should just be a bit more of an attacking side in general, overall, because... 
basically of the attacking talent uh, available. You know, and the way that Santos does generally set up his team, first of all, to make them hard to beat. That's a legitimate discussion. You can have that. You kind of forget also that these games against two top sides, you're not going to get one side just going all out attack. It just doesn't happen, does it, at major tournaments? They're always tight affairs. This was so tight. Could have gone either way. And one thing I think you have to say, Portugal did dominate this game, but a lot of it also was to do with the game situation. You know, Belgium scored. Uh, and so they went deeper. Portugal had to attack more. So it was kind of obvious that Portugal were going to be the more attacking side while Belgium were leading. But I wouldn't say that this kind of signifies a sea change in the way that Portugal are going to approach games. And I suppose that's the, the big question is that, you know, how do we want Portugal to, to kind of set up in the future? How do we want them to approach games if you do want a more attacking uh, kind of mindset you know perhaps uh, a change of coach is a legitimate discussion but I like you said he's got a contract to 2024 I don't think we're going to see a change of coach right now and also we have to remember the World Cup is just uh, you know what a year away more or less we're in the middle of qualifying so I suppose you know it wouldn't make much sense to change coaches at this time I think Fernando Santos uh, will be Portugal's coach heading into the Qatar tournament. Let's see how that goes. You know, if that is disappointing, perhaps the FBF may pull the trigger before the before the next Euros. I don't think there's any reason to think that he should be sacked. I certainly don't see it happening whatsoever. If you look at this from an FBF point of view, you know, okay, the the German game was an obvious disappointment, and if we're going to look at negatives, and that's a I guess a big one against Santosh is, is why they prepared so badly for that game. We, we obviously went into that into a lot of detail after the match. So that's a definite thing you could you could point at him about why the why that match went so badly. But as we've also mentioned so many times, he, he's shown an ability to turn it around very quickly. And he did that. France game was, was tight. They're obviously the World Cup champions. And yesterday, we basically dominated the, the number one team in, in FIFA World Rankings, who are one of the favourites to win this tournament, who have some exceptional, exceptional talent in their team, in all positions. Yeah. So Belgium are a quality team. And for large periods yesterday, Portugal largely dominated them and made them look pretty average. I don't really see much problem with holding on to Santos. As you said, we're halfway through a World Cup qualification campaign. You're likely to see Pep and uh, Ronaldo play. So you're going to want to keep this group together. We're going to have to hear a lot of this stuff for another 12 months at least. I'm just going to have to switch off. To be honest, I'm, I'm tired of it. I think I'd, I can't take any more of the uh, the pessimism. If you look at you look at the way Italy kind of approach games in this tournament, even teams like Denmark or the Netherlands, you know, they just seem to really, right from the first minute, their whole mindset seems to be really, okay, we're going to try and swamp the opposition. We're really going to try and get at them. You know, and Portugal don't really seem to to do that well, you know, to be like that. But, you know, it's, it's an approach. It's a question of approach. I mean, look at France. France, I'd say, played very similar to Portugal and they're World, World Cup champions. And they won the World Cup like that. So I'm not saying that the approach fundamentally is flawed. I think what people are saying is that when you look at Portugal's roster, you know, you look at their squad, I think there is an argument that you say Portugal should be more proactive. You could see Portugal taking a much more kind of uh, attacking approach to games and then just getting picked off and in, in tournament play that 
that probably would be quite likely to happen and then everyone would be calling for a player like Santos a uh, coach like Santos to be to be put back in charge and so I don't know Matt I think it's to do with the expectations Portugal were European champions thanks to Fernando Santos I think most people universally you know you look at this squad and you say it's a stronger squad than 2016 and so you just get the feeling that you know, perhaps even with Santos himself, I don't know if he himself uh, can just kind of tweak it a bit to to make Portugal just really kind of go at their, the opposition. They never really seem to really go at the opposition unless, you know, they have to, unless they're losing in a game. It's a bit like Mourinho in, in some ways in the way he sets up his team, you know, and he's a, a serial winner. It's great when you're winning. You know, it's great playing this football when you're winning. But when you're not winning questions are asked and you kind of think if we're going to go out maybe we should try and go out with all guns blazing so you know Fernando Santos he deserves a statue he'll be a hero forever in Portugal for what he did I don't think he's doing a terrible job I think he's still making Portugal very you know a very tough side one of the strongest sides in football which is no mean feat give him one more tournament the World Cup if Portugal don't progress very far, there's an argument to say, OK, let's let's change our approach and see how that goes. It might just be a question of being a bit stale as well, Matt. You know, same coach has been Portugal coach for two, since 2014. That's an awful long time for, uh, you know, he's actually got a record for the number of years he's been in charge of the Portugal team. And also, you know, like you said, Pep and Ronaldo are coming to the end of their careers. So... Perhaps this would just be a kind of natural end of the cycle. I understand what you're saying. People have an overreaction, really giving Santos pelters when I don't think he deserves them, especially for this match. But on the other hand, I don't think you can kind of exonerate, exonerate him from all blame. Clearly he made mistakes in the Germany game, but I just don't follow that, that general narrative that tends to come out all over the place from respected journalists or obviously comments on Portugal or whatever it is. But... This general consensus, as it seems to be with him and his style of football, I, I just don't see it that way, to be honest. I mean, Portugal can dominate and largely control games against the elite teams in world football. And as you mentioned before, there's not many teams in international football in these tournaments that just come out and attack because it just doesn't work. And there's just too much to lose. There's just the stakes are just too high. You know, one, one loss and, and you're gone. And you can criticise Portugal for not pressing as well as they should but what international team does unless as you see with maybe Italy you have a lot of players that have a lot of that, that play for the same club that, that execute that philosophy executing a high press and sustaining a high press as you see with Manchester City Liverpool maybe Bayern Munich this takes a massive amount of time to perfect and to practice and all the players have to know exactly what they're doing to do it because if one link in the chain is broken then it's, it's a disaster because the opposition will get out of the press and then just hit you and exploit a hole. I can see all the points of view. I just, I just, I'm just not looking forward to hearing this, this incessant stuff about Santos for another year. And I'm just going to have to completely switch off from it because it's, I just find it completely tiring. If you look at most managers when they do uh, depart clubs or, or international teams, a lot of it comes from the players. And I think if you probably asked Cristiano and Pep, some of these elder statesmen, you know, if the FPF got them in a room and said, should we, should we get rid of Santos? I, I, I don't think they would be, <laughs> I don't think they would be on board with that. I think they would be pretty much the opposite and saying no. 
Yeah, um, yeah, that yeah. is a, that's a good point, Matt. Yeah, I don't think that's a, that's a, you know you can't really overstate how important that is. You know, and like I, I said, everything which Portugal have uh, achieved, you know, in the last few years, and it's been a lot. I think it has to do with the you know the spirit of the of the of the whole group of the whole squad, and you have to really give uh, you know tremendous credit credit to Santos for that. I mentioned it the other day. I think the fact that he he just just seems to be a very fair coach, you know, and we, we saw it again this tournament. You know, when things are wrong, when things aren't, when things need addressing, he addresses them. You know, when players don't perform, he drops them. When players deserve a chance, you know, he brings them in. So all of that, you know, really helps, I think, to to build a you know a good spirit. Diogo Delo has shown that he can hold his own and he's going to be a useful addition even though there's a lot of talent in the right back spot obviously with uh, Cancelo, Semedo, Ricardo Pereira and Cedric Suarez. We've also seen Delo play at left back for the under 21 side so he could be an option down the line if there's, if there's a hole but we've also seen obviously the emergence of Nuno Mendes unfortunately for him he had some issues and we didn't see him at all in this tournament. The positives of Portugal is the emergence of those two guys in providing some more cover for the full positions. Yeah, I think uh, Mendes, you know, I'm a huge fan of his. It was a pity that, you know, he, uh, you know, he just got injured. Uh, well, he, yeah, he had some muscle injuries, so didn't play at the end of the game yesterday. Uh, Fernando Santos was asked about him, you know, and the fact that him and Pot didn't play any minutes at all in this tournament. And he just said uh, on Menders, he just mentioned the fact that, you know, he'd been out of action for the last 10 days, couldn't even train fully for the last 10 days. You know, that really took away that option. He said that yesterday, if the match had gone differently, he was ready and he probably would have played, would have came in for Guerreiro if, uh, you know, Guerreiro was showing signs of tiredness towards the end of the game. But, uh, you know, obviously the match situation didn't allow for that. Uh, so yeah, I think that's uh, that's one that's one area that I think could improve significantly. And not that Guerrero's a bad player, far from it. But I think that I do really think that Mendes uh, could be an upgrade in that position. Uh, I'd say Matt, the biggest plus from this tournament, looking at it as a whole, is the re-emergence of Renato Sanchez, because uh, for me, he was Portugal's best player in this tournament. And, uh, you know, it just gives Portugal something which they don't have. You know, they've got these fantastically technical, uh, proficient players, Portugal. And, you know, players really at the top of their game, playing for top clubs like uh, Bruno Fernandes and, and Bernardo Silva especially. But they don't, uh, you know, they've got a whole slew of midfielders. I think, I think Santos selected uh, 10 or 11 midfielders for this tournament. But... None of them have got the the dynamism and the you know just the ability to carry the ball forward and uh, just the strength really of Renato Sanchez. We saw that again yesterday, you know, in the first half when the game was really kind of 
cagey. It was difficult for for either side to create opportunities. Portugal's most dangerous moments uh, came from Renato, you know, just picking up the ball, drive that run forward. He did was absolutely incredible when he, uh, you know, picked the ball up deep, uh, beat two men to it, and then knocked the ball forward and. It, you know, Witzel had a, a couple of yards on him, and I thought, okay, <laughs> there's no way he's going to get past Witzel. And he's just so strong, isn't he? And he uses his body. He actually mentioned this in his press conference uh, yesterday. He uses his body so well, just, you know, just kind of barreled in front of Witzel, got away from him, and set up a really dangerous Portugal attack. So, yeah, I'd say that's, for me, that's the biggest positive uh, coming out of this match. I think Portugal can really you know, almost build their midfield, certainly, around Renato Sanchez. Yeah, he's been sensational. And really, I think he just has to be basically a first choice in the team now. There's no more, you know, bringing him into a tournament, easing easing him into a tournament. I think he's really shown that he needs to be in this team. As you say, some of that upper body strength he displays on on opponents who are strong guys themselves. And he just brushes them off. In, in mm. the last couple of games, he's come up against Kante, he's come up against Pogba, he's come up against Witzel. You know, you're talking about three of the, as well as three of the best players in the world, three of the strongest midfielders, aren't you, physically speaking? And he's, you know, he's, he's matched them, he's more than matched them, he's beaten them on quite a few occasions. So, yeah, incredible strength. And I think also another thing we forget about, uh, about Renato, because it seems like he's been out forever and he's been around forever and a day. But, of course, because he burst onto the scene so early he was 17 years older uh you know when he really you know hit the headlines uh he's still very young he's 23 years old so i'd say the only thing the only slight worry is of course he's been plagued pretty much throughout his career with a few injury you know quite a lot of injury problems nothing really serious but quite uh i don't know if it's the way he plays he seems to does pick up you know injuries quite frequently but uh you know, thankfully, this tournament that didn't. You know, he was available. Twenty-three years old. Perhaps these next three, four, five years could be really the you know the height of his career, and uh, you know that's got to be good news for Portugal. Yeah, for sure, he's a huge, uh, huge positive to come out of this tournament. It's good to see him getting back to his best. What about Paulinha? Obviously, we saw that debacle in against Germany with the William and Danilo double pivot. We saw Paulinha come off the bench against. Uh, France in the second half played very well. He got the start here against Belgium and really showed that he's comfortable in this sort of company. Tom, he's yeah. uh, he's uh, he lives on the edge a bit, doesn't he? He's pretty physical, and he probably should have got a card early on for holding holding back Lukaku. That was a pretty obvious one, I thought. Looks like a, <laughs> it's a yellow card magnet, but overall, he looks like he's going to be a really useful option for the for Santos moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's another one who's really enhanced his reputation. I think in this tournament, probably many, not too many people outside Portugal would have known anything about him. But yeah, like you said, came in, didn't look out of place at all. You know, in very, very tough matches. You know, had 45 minutes against France, and then most of the match yesterday against Belgium. So you know, you couldn't really hard ask for more difficult matches. Yeah, and I thought he acquitted himself really well. Yeah. It's a yeah, good expression you use there, Matt. You know, living on the edge uh, or playing on the edge. That's definitely his game. He is very aggressive, you know. But again, that's something which something which Portugal 
really, uh, traditionally, you could say they've lacked a little bit in midfield. You know, William, I've been a, a huge fan of his, but I think you have to say his time is over now. But, you know, even at his best, William was never, although he's, you know, strong physical players, never really very dynamic, never really very aggressive either. He's more, he's quite a smooth operator, I'd say. Polina, you know, very, very impressed with the way he he uh, took his chance. I thought he had a very good game yesterday. Even that first yellow card, which he was lucky to escape, you know, that was very important uh, piece of action. We were talking about this the other day, weren't we? Tactical fouls and fouling when you need to. You know, Lukaku was just storming straight through the middle. Looked like he was going to go all the way and score a goal. And uh, Polina managed to slow him down. And then luckily Portugal managed to to clear the ball. but uh, yeah, he did get his yellow card shortly afterwards and definitely, Matt, another big plus from this tournament, I'd say. Yeah, he definitely fits the mould, doesn't he? I don't know. There seems to be something about Santos. He doesn't seem to really trust Ruben Neves or maybe... The, uh, Neves is not a small guy, but the other guys have a definite, I guess, height and maybe physical advantage over Ruben Neves, you, you might say. And that, that it has seemed, hasn't it, that... Fernando Santos does seem to value physicality a lot in that position. And yeah, for sure, Palinha brings that to, to the position. And he's 25, Danilo uh, William 29. So they've obviously still got plenty of years left in them. But it's great to have so many players that can, can come in and do a job. The depth is the word I was looking for in defensive midfield. is certainly there. And this tournament has really shown that, uh, that Palinha is going to come into, into reckoning, if not um, as a starter then definitely a useful option in uh, in international tournaments. What about Diogo Jota, Tom? We saw him get into some very useful positions. We've seen a couple of times where maybe he just wasn't really on the same wavelength as Ronaldo. That we saw a couple of times he could have released Ronaldo instead of shooting. But overall, he's shown that he can be a very useful player. Of course, people are going to pick out maybe the shot yesterday. But overall, he's still very young. Again, he's only 24. He can play across the, the front line. And I'm assuming we're going to see a whole lot of uh, Diogo Jota over the next eight or ten years for Selassal. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I really like him. I thought uh, he, he did have quite a poor tournament in terms of his finishing, of course. He only scored one goal and he had quite a few chances. But uh, I think it's a bit, a bit unfortunate, maybe, Matt, something we can talk about. There was a good comment on... Uh, on one of the articles on Portugal, which I, I thought was very pertinent. I said quite a few players came into this tournament, uh, Portugal players, really a bit out of form. And I think we can put Diogo Jota in that bracket. You know, he was just absolutely sensational, wasn't he, at the start of the season for Liverpool when he first moved there. Just everything he touched uh, seemed to end up in the back of the net. Then he got that injury, came back, uh, looked looked almost like the same player and I think I remember even in the March games for Portugal he was excellent in those games scored two or three goals didn't he uh, I think that's when he kind of cemented his place as a starter in Portugal's uh, first team but unfortunately for Portugal he just kind of uh, just fell, fell away a little bit at the end of the season both for Liverpool uh, and for and for Portugal I was at the friendly the last uh, friendly before the tournament against Israel. Portugal played pretty well that game, but even in that game, you know, Diogo Jota, you can see, was a bit off it. He had three or four clear chances. He missed all of them. 
one thing about Diogo Jota, I think he will be a regular starter because even when he's missing chances, he just is one of these players that just makes things happen. You know, so much energy. Again, we we talk a lot about you know energy and dynamism, and he's one of those players definitely makes things very difficult for the opposition. So I think it was useful. I don't think he had a terrible tournament in terms of finishing. You know, obviously he was he'd be disappointed. I think that he didn't score more goals, but uh, you know I think he. He, again, proved that he was a very useful player. Portugal did really suffer from the fact that quite a few players were just clearly out of form. You know, Bruno Fernandes, the obvious one. Diogo Jota, not at his best in terms of his finishing. Uh, Bernardo Silva, again, didn't really see too much from him, did we? I always say this, I think one thing why the stars kind of aligned at Euro 2016 was that uh, basically that team was very much comprised of the sporting and uh, and Benfica players who had just played out an absolutely sensational uh, championship race where it looked like Sporting were going to win. Benfica just picked them with that incredible run at the end, winning 24 out of 22 out of 24 games. I think Renato Sanchez at the absolute heart of that. So you had players like uh, like Sanchez, uh, the sporting trio of uh, Adrian Silva, William Carvalho and, uh, and Cedric and... Uh, all of these players went into that tournament right on top of their game. Yeah, Joao Mario was the one I was trying to think of. Right on top of their game, you know, really in tip-top form. And you saw that. You saw that at the tournament. You know, they went in with uh, with optimism and they went in again with, with chemistry because quite a few players playing from the, from the same teams. And we just didn't get that this tournament, really, did we? I think we had a few players who... Uh, weren't on top of their game and as we just discussed uh, in games like this against Belgium well in all games really all top games Portugal had to play you know really tough games all throughout this tournament Uh, it's really going to come down to fine margins and when your best players aren't quite on it I think that really made a big difference Let's get on to Joel Felix, Tom, because he looked like an angry man to me yesterday. Obviously, it was his first appearance at the tournament, and maybe he's getting some criticism. He hasn't been, I guess, a regular starter at uh, Atletico, but I don't know. Did you get the sense that he's, at the moment, an angry man? He didn't look to be enjoying himself too much. There's another one, you know, talking about players slightly out of form. He was the start of the season very well at Atletico. He actually got La Liga player of the month I think in October or November so started really well it was a big reason why Atletico built that huge lead which you know in the end helped them win the championship but he did end the season quite poorly you know he wasn't even starting for the last few matches for Atletico so uh, yeah he's a little bit of a uh, enigma isn't he uh, Joao Felix I think we can all see that you know he's got immense talent but uh you know, we haven't really seen that shine too often. We have seen it on occasions, like I said, at the start of Atletico Madrid. Of course, that first season at Benfica, he was just unbelievable as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of people here in Portugal still kind of hold him up as uh, Portugal's biggest talent, you know, look going to the future and perhaps the 
the guy who's going to kind of take over from Ronaldo as Portugal's kind of golden boy or, you know, their number one uh, player, but hasn't really, for one reason or another, hasn't really brought it to the international game just yet. Uh, and I think yesterday was kind of an example of what we've seen from him. You know, you can see he's, you know, a good player. He He's not overawed by the occasion. I think he did help uh, Portugal's forward mo- uh, momentum. A couple of, uh, you know, really nice touches. I remember one when brought down a ball instantly, a very difficult ball uh, from way, just fell way out of the sky, brought it down instantly, kept Portugal's attack going. And some nice touches, uh, you know, near the box. Uh, I think he won that free kick, didn't he? And almost won another free kick right on the edge of the box. In terms of his kind of overall demeanour, whether he looks like an angry, <laughs> an angry man, yeah, I think that's quite uh, that's quite a good point, Matt. He, I suppose he he's just must be a little bit frustrated with, you know, his obvious talent isn't really for one reason or another isn't really coming to the fore, is it? Either at club or at uh, international level. Again, he's one of these players. How do you how do you kind of fit him into the team? Do you build a team around him? Uh, you know, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a difficulty. Another another reason why I think you're right, Matt, in perhaps defending Santos a little bit is sometimes people look at all these players. Oh, you know, we've got Joao Felix, we've got Potts, we've got Bruno Fernandes, we've got uh, Bernardo Silva. You know, we're just dripping with talent, but you, know, you can only pick 11 and you've got to fit them all into a, a you know a, a team and a, a tactical structure that gets the best out of them and you know and you that's not easy that's not an easy thing to do and you you've got all these players and it's great having depth but you can't you can't you know you can't just throw them all on there and just think it's going to magically work you know so it's going to be it's 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 a bit of a conundrum uh, and Joao Felix, I think it's going to be interesting to see if he is a starter for Portugal going forward because there's a lot of competition for those places. Yeah, I think one of the good things for Santos now is that you know he has a lot of matches to prepare for, for Qatar and he's going to be able to try out some different things. There's also some friendlies. I think if you just look at the future of Portuguese football, even Andre Silva's only 25, Tom. Obviously, Joao Felix is 21, Jota's 24, even Bernardo Silva's 26, same as Bruno Fernandes. So all of these guys are going to be in the squad for a long time to come. Renato Sanchez, 23, Palinha, 25. So, and obviously Ruben Neves, if he ends up you know, getting more game time and finding a way to get into this team, he's, he's 24. So the future is very bright for, for so many of these players. And we're going to have to monitor their, their club form and hope that they can stay on that upward trajectory. So let's talk about Ronaldo Tommy. He's another guy that gets so much criticism. I don't know why. Maybe it's something to do with the majority of the media is English. I don't know. I don't know if you've got any theories about this. Obviously, he's perceived arrogance and some of the things he's done could be some off-field things that he has done or hasn't done. But so many commentators constantly talk about how he hinders this team and how they would be better off without him. Do you see it the way I see it or the way I hear it? And I guess constant criticism and, and lack of respect maybe for Ronaldo? Yeah, it's, just, it's incredible, isn't it? I mean, we saw it again, didn't we, here, Matt? You know, coming into this tournament, like you, you're absolutely right. So much talk. Even, I have to say, you know, in 
here in Portugal among among quite a lot of fans and and the media suggesting that Portugal would be better without Ronaldo and you know the hardest thing to do in football match you know what it is putting the ball in the back of the net and you know he's got 109 international goals he's just he's just a machine you know and we even saw it yesterday I think you know he was uh, he was excellent again yesterday really Portugal's biggest threat almost I mean that that run you, you, he's not the player he used to be but you know he's still very it's a very potent weapon you know that little uh, run dribble he did and then played a very good ball into Jota for that chance you know probably one of the best chances of of the game and uh, you know five goals okay three of them were penalties how many penalties have we seen missed this tournament even psychologically you know for the opponents yeah when you when they see Cristiano Ronaldo on that team, you know they know it's not the Cristiano Ronaldo of old, but this is a guy who's one of the, you know, one of the greatest players ever to play the game. That must engender a little bit of fear, I think, or trepidation in the opposition. There's no doubt about it. Ronaldo was not the problem uh, for Portugal this tournament, and he he just proved that. Perhaps going forward, uh, we could see him being used a little bit differently in that uh, perhaps not for 90 minutes every game uh, you know either starting and then coming off with half an hour to go or something I actually think would be quite effective for Portugal is perhaps him starting on the bench uh, and then you know coming on for the for the second half or the last 40 minutes you know imagine that against more tiring defenders he's 36 so you know Time stops for no man. He's not going to be here forever. But like you said, he's still doing a great job. He proved in this tournament that he still very much deserves to be that that number nine, like I just said. He turns 37 in February. You can be guaranteed that he's got his eyes on the World Cup for sure. I thought he played well yesterday. And if you look at even in the latter stages, well, he set up that chance for, for Jota. And then he basically set up that chance for uh, Joao Felix in, in the final few minutes. He was really inspirational in try, trying to drive Portugal forward and, and getting on the ball as much as he could and trying to link up the play. I guess the only criticism I'll have is maybe he could let someone else take a free kick every now and then. That that, that would maybe be yeah. my, my only criticism. But apart from that, he's just a guy you cannot leave out. I'm just baffled about how people can say that Portugal will be better without him in the team. As you say, putting the ball in the back of the net, he's he can do it from all over the place. He's one of the best headers of the ball you, 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 you'll ever see. If we have to be a little bit worried, Tom, this central defence, but I guess if we're only looking a year ahead, then you would have to assume that Pep is still going to be there in Qatar? Yeah, hopefully. Again, judging by yesterday, I thought he was probably Portugal's man of the match yesterday. Incredible, isn't it? The, the service he's given to Portugal and uh, you know, I remember going into two, 2016, he was already a bit of a veteran, but he was absolutely outstanding in 2016. I think the final against uh, France, probably one of the best individual performances I've, I've ever seen from any player. Uh, you know, defenders don't normally get much, don't get the light shone on them very much, do they, for these big matches? We always talk about the, the goal scorers and the attackers, but that, that performance by, by Pep was sensational. And... Uh, and again, this tournament, I think, has been good, all tournament. And yesterday, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Even in the last, you know, 10 minutes, when basically he was 10 or 15 minutes, he was used as an auxiliary striker or forward. And, you know, he was still putting himself about and, uh, you know, making 
challenges and and having a very positive effect. And so, uh, yeah, I felt really sorry for him. Actually, felt really bad for him that he you could you could also see at the end of the game how much it meant. I think for him because you know he realizes that he's coming to the end. Uh, probably got only one more tournament in him. But uh, again, looking at it more kind of uh, coolly, I suppose centre back Matt. I think it's one of those positions where you can get away with playing. Uh, you know very late into your career, late late 30s. We've seen this quite often, different teams all around the world, I suppose. You know, instead of having to rely on pace, uh, you rely more on your experience. And my, my word, <laughs> Pep has got an absolute wealth of experience and intelligence. And, uh, and it's still no slouch, actually, uh, is he? At 38 years old, it's remarkable, really, how, uh, you know, physically he's still, he's still up there. So, yeah, uh, you know, hopefully Porto kind of wrap him up in, in cotton wool and, uh, you know, he stays fit for another year or so. And uh, we can look forward to him perhaps going out on, on a high in, in Qatar, especially if Portugal do something sensational like winning the tournament. What, what a way to go that would be, Matt, for, for players like Cristiano Ronaldo and Pep. Uh, don't know if João Moutinho may be there as well. I mean, what a way to bow out that would be. Yeah, you have to think that if, if Pep and uh, Cristiano had a conversation after that match, match yesterday, it would have been something along the lines of, uh, let's get ready for Qatar, basically. And yeah, yeah. He, he, he turns 39 in February. Looks like his contract at Porto is up until 2023, if that's correct. That's, uh, so that's a couple more years. So if he'll get that far, who knows? But you can be sure that that'll be one of the things that he's thinking about is Qatar and getting and staying fit and looking after himself, looking after his body. Obviously, Porto will be in his thoughts as well, but you'd have to imagine that that's his main goal will be Qatar and getting to that tournament in uh, in enough shape to be able to, to play, which it looks like he's going to be able to do. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. And I guess another positive, Tom, is obviously Ruben Dias, who has made that move to Man City and really flourished didn't really think he was too much at fault for that France goal. That was just such a, a beautiful pass and run that would have really got past most central defenders, you would have thought. But, you know, he's a, another huge plus here. He's also 24. So he's got another decade, you would have to imagine, in the heart of the Celestial defence. Yeah, yeah. And we saw, you know, even the, the way he talked after the match, don't you? You see, he's, you know, he just lives and breathes football and he's, he says all the right things. He's a, a really calm and collected customer when you you know when we the, the way he kind of looks at football and is just a brilliant player you know some people have thrown a bit of criticism at him this uh, this tournament saying that he got outshined by Pep but you know I don't think you can that's a bit of a strange logic in my way Pep played brilliantly so so that, so that's kind of reflects badly on Diaz I don't really get the logic in that at all I think uh, you know he's a great player uh, Diaz and as we as we know uh, Pep won't be around for forever, so it's good that Portugal at least have one absolutely, you know, rock solid centre back who, like you say, should be there for the next decade or so. I think the future is is really bright, Tom. So many of these guys are around that 24 years of age bracket, so at least depending on their position, you know, eight, ten years perhaps we're going to see them for the cell. And we've got a lot of positions covered. I think the future is definitely bright.
very disappointing to be eliminated from an international tournament. But, yeah, we've said so many times, fine margins. I thought they played really well yesterday and just a little bit unlucky. So I'm not... Uh, I'm not getting too down. Not reaching for that uh, bottle of Madronio, and not I don't have the I don't have the Fado on uh, on a loop for the rest of the day. I'm going to be positive and look ahead. And all those players we mentioned, still so young, so much room for improvement. And uh, I'm sure we're going to see some of them break out in the next few years and really hit that next level. So a lot to look forward to. Okay, Tom, it's a little bit sad to be saying goodbye, but the time has come, and I guess uh, we'll talk. In a year, Portugal, the Portugal podcast will go on another hiatus. But uh, thanks for uh, joining me on these podcasts. Good fun these podcasts were. Uh, of course, we would have preferred to have seven rather than four. But uh, but there you go. You can't win them all. And yeah, I absolutely agree with you. You know, Portugal are in a good place at the moment. So much to look forward to. And we didn't even mention the under-21 players. You know, there's a few from there who could make a difference as well. So... Yeah, I think the future is bright. Thanks for uh, joining us on the Portugal podcast. We hope to have your ears again in uh, in a year's time for the World Cup in Qatar. I've been Matthew Marshall. He's been Tom Cundit. Forza!